What's up, homies? Your good friends over at Pod Jerky, Director Awesome and Master Impressive, present the all new podcast. They're gonna put some shizzle in your bizzle. No, I'm saying, dog, for real. When your life is in a shuffle, visit Pod Jerky's online crib to get your audio scuffle on. It's the real OG podcast sound. You dig? Master Impressive and Director Awesome be bringing the illest shizzle for y'all. That's right. Subscribe. And to all our podjerkies in the land, be cool, be chill. Everything's all right. We're going to take good care of y'all. Welcome to another episode of Pod Jerky, where your hosts, Master Impressive and Director Awesome. We have really great episodes coming up for all of you, and today we're giving you a brief look into Director Awesome's background, specifically his health challenges. We promise the exciting stuff is coming. In this episode, we take a look at Director Awesome's massive winning streak when it comes to his health. Yes, boys and girls, that last statement was dripping with sarcasm. When it comes to both Director Awesome and I with regards to luck, if we didn't have bad luck, we wouldn't have any luck at all. I call it the winning layaway plan. For those of you who are going through rough times and have suffered some health setbacks in your life, please take a moment, leave your concerns at our audio doorway, and live vicariously through the tall tales of Director Awesome's romp through Crapville near Shit Creek. I'm sure you all know where that is. Without further delay, Director Awesome, take it away. So really, I've got no secrets and I want to share with you the actual health battles that I've been through in the past 10 years. Now, I've never been what you call a healthy person. I've always gone through some kind of problems going all the way back to my childhood. I've broken my ankle three times. I've had different issues with my back and neck and and other stuff. But the past 10 years have been quite the journey. I'll quickly start with my first year of marriage. I actually got married in 2011, and while on my honeymoon, I contracted a bacterial infection in my foot. So how did you realize something was wrong? While we were on our honeymoon, I noticed that I had had a blister on my foot. And when you have a blister on your foot, you don't really think too much about it. You're going to a different country, and and that's not what's on your mind. You're thinking, I'm going on my honeymoon, I'm going to a destination, and... I'm just going to enjoy myself. So we went about our vacation, and while we were there, we had free spa tickets uh, to go to the spa while we were at the uh, resort. And again, not thinking anything of it, the spa the spa was a little bit behind. So what they did was send us off to the hot tub. Now, this is important for later on in the story, but uh, they sent us over to the hot tub, and we waited until it was our turn to get our free couples massage for our honeymoon and stuff like that. So um, got out of the hot tub, went into the massage, and then came back to our room, and, and everything was pretty much fine. Now, we returned from our honeymoon, and my friend was actually getting married three weeks after we had returned, and I was in the wedding party. So that morning, I woke up, and my foot was a little bit sore. So this is three weeks after coming back and having the blister on my foot. So my foot was a little bit sore. I hadn't had any real trouble before that. 
So we went to the wedding in the morning. I actually went out to do the pictures and uh, all the stuff that goes on before the wedding. And my foot started to hurt a little bit more. So we went out to do our pictures and I was kind of lagging behind everybody because my foot started to throb a little bit. And my friend was starting to get a little bit upset, but at the same time, I don't think he knew what was going on at the time. We did make it down to the reception after the mass and everything, and and I was still in a lot of pain. And my parents had brought some Tylenol 3s um, because they knew that my foot was bothering me because I had talked to them early in the day. And they brought the Tylenol 3s. I took those and I tried to, I guess, stay at the wedding as long as I could. By 10.30, I had said to my wife, you know, we need to go home. I can't take this anymore. My foot was extremely swollen and uh, we need to go home. And I had to tell my friend this, which, you know, killed me because I was I was at one of my best friend's weddings and I had to leave early. So we ended up going home, took off my shoe, which was extremely difficult to take off because my foot was that swollen. And we took my sock off and I had what looked like a purple sun around my foot. And we didn't know what to do at that point. We thought, okay, maybe there's an infection, whatever it is. But you know what? We'll wait till the morning. I was so exhausted from the whole day. And my wife had told me, you know what? You're going to go to the doctors. And I said, we'll wait until the morning. She said, no, I'm going to bring you to the hospital now. Again, me being stubborn and not listening uh, led to further complications. But I said, I want to wait until the morning. And that's what we did. So in the morning time, we went to a foot clinic and the foot clinics uh, took one look at it and they told me, you know, we don't know what you're doing here. You need to get to the hospital right away. You have a serious infection and there's nothing we can do for you here. You need to get to the hospital. So off to emergency, we went and I was there for five days in a row, I believe. And they believed that I had contracted the bacterial infection from the hot tub in uh, the Dominican where we were. Now, they can't pinpoint it exactly because you can pick that up anywhere, but they had asked if we were anywhere uh, overseas, if we had gone on a, on a trip or left the country for any reason, and that's the only place that we had gone. So uh, this is what they were saying, how I actually got this infection. So I was at the hospital for the next five mornings. I mean, they would take me in, do their treatment, and then actually send me home for the day and then I would have to come back the next morning. So we did this for the next five days. And then they actually sent me home and they put me on a IV to be at home uh, with that. Um, this was just a medication that was flowing through uh, my bloodstream uh, to try and get rid of this bacterial infection. We did that for a couple of weeks and uh, we had a home care nurse here as well. They actually ended up putting in a pick line, which is a line that they do a surgery for that they cut into your arm and then they run the line up through a vein so that it pumps into your heart and can distribute uh, a lot quicker. So we had that done. And then on Christmas Eve of that year, the uh, pick line actually started leaking. So we had to rush back to emergency and have the pick line removed. And I opted to get uh, just the needle put back into my vein and then just run the line that way. Turns out that I developed uh, deep vein thrombosis from that, is, which is crystallization in your veins from the medication. And uh, it just hardens your veins, so I couldn't move my arm at all at this point. Uh, so this was actually just a big disaster at this point in our, in our uh, marriage so far, and we're maybe a month into our marriage. And uh, my poor wife had to take care of me for a good six months just because all of this happened. When I got back from uh, the honeymoon... 
and I was in the hospital. They actually sent me to an infectious disease doctor just to make sure that I wasn't contagious to anybody else. And the doctor took look, uh, like one look at it and actually said, I think this is a diabetic ulcer, which it had turned into. How do they diagnose diabetes from a foot injury? They were able to stick um, basically a long Q-tip all the way down my foot from the, the tip of my toe through the hole all the way down to basically my ankle. Um, and they said that this is a diabetic ulcer. So they did test me for uh, diabetes, and I never knew that I had had it previously. And it turns out that that's how they figured out that I was diabetic. I never actually really took care of my diabetes after that. I, I actually took my medication sporadically. I kind of ate whatever I wanted. I didn't really take care of it. And now looking back in hindsight, that was a big mistake most likely. Uh, not most likely. It really was a big mistake. What's coming up, I don't really know if that was a contributing factor or uh, there were other things that played into that, but we're going to get into that in just a second. So we hadn't met yet when you went through that, but we did know each other when the whole kidney thing happened. What happened leading up to it? So leading up to this, we were actually at school and like looking back on this now, uh, this is something that kind of just came to mind recently. We were at school one night during a parent-teacher interviews working, and I went up to the door uh, to go back inside as we were on a break, so we just all took a walk outside for a bit. And I went outside and I came back and I felt some throbbing in my lower back. Now, I just thought at the time it was kind of like a, a muscle twitch or just like a stiff back or something like that, that, you know, you get kind of these everyday aches and pains. So I didn't know exactly what it was, but during that week that I was at work and I do work with special needs kids, the kid that I was working with actually came to school with the flu. He was actually vomiting and all this stuff. So I was working with him and he was, you know, touching me all day and he was sneezing in my face and, and stuff like that. Now, don't take this as me blaming the child. I'm just telling you how it all went down. So the next morning I woke up and I was extremely sick with the flu and I think I got it from this student. But again, I'm not blaming them as you can catch that anywhere, right? So the flu was actually much worse than I usually get it. I, I, I couldn't keep anything down. Uh, not even like any water, anything like that. So my wife kept saying, you know what, we're going to go to the doctor, we're going to go to the doctor. And I kept saying, no, 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 because you get that weak, you know, feeling that you just don't want to get out of bed. And you just want to kind of like lay there and just do nothing. And, you know, everybody gets that way when they get sick. And in hindsight, I probably should have listened to my wife after this went down um, for three days. So Again, I didn't really want to get out of bed, and I had no idea at the time that my kidneys were shutting down. So day five of this vomit, it was going on, and my wife told me, if I'm, I'm not okay by the end of the day, we're going to go to the hospital. So by the end of the day, I still wasn't okay, but convinced my wife to let me wait until the morning. I said, I just want to lay down. I just want to rest, and I'm just not feeling good, and I just want to, you know, just lay here like you would when you're sick. So... Because I was so sick, you know, I asked my wife to sleep in the room next door so that she wouldn't catch what I had, and she did. The next thing I remembered was waking up in the hospital two days later. Now, when I got into the hospital, um, apparently what had happened is the night before, as uh, my wife will explain a little bit later on in this episode, um, I was apparently making noises that night, and 
I ended up having two seizures, one at home and one in the hospital as well. Ended up biting my tongue. And again, my wife will go into more detail about this um, when she comes onto the show and gives you her view of what happened in, in that night. So I, I really don't remember anything that happened for the next two days. I'm only going on what my wife has told me and what my friends have told me. So I had the seizure in the emergency room. I was restrained. I was in hypertensive crisis. I was severely dehydrated when I arrived. Uh, they ran all kinds of tests. They did an MRI and ECG. Uh, they tested for encephalitis and meningitis. They did blood work. I had a spinal tap done. Uh, when the blood results came back, my kidney function was not good. So normal creatinine levels in your body should be around that 100 mark. And mine were at 630, I believe. And I was actually on the verge of dialysis. So uh, luckily, my levels that night started to drop. And uh, they didn't have to put me on dialysis. They just actually tried to play it out to see if my levels would continue to drop over the next few days. And happily, they they started to drop, uh, which was fantastic. But then what happened was I started to get edema. And what edema is, is just a lot of swelling and water buildup. Because I was so dehydrated, what they had to do was put a lot of fluid into me. So as my wife will explain later on, is um, they had so many bags of fluid going into me. So I had ended up gaining close to 60 pounds of fluid while I was in the hospital with, the, with edema. So just imagine that it was very hard to get out of bed. It was very hard to walk around in the hospital. So I had a, a nurse with me all the time that would help me just to walk to the washroom. Uh, just to get up and do normal things uh, that you would have to do, brush your teeth and, and you know, do whatever you had to do. So all of that was uh, going on at this at this point. And then after the sixth day, I was released and I went home. And then I battled uh, edema at home as well, which was very, very painful. But the way that you have to kind of help with that is, one, you have water pills that you're on. And two, you have to get up and move around. If you're just laying around all the time, then it's never going to go away. So I tried to at least walk up and down the stairs once a day, uh, which was very painful, very difficult to do. Um, but I mean, it's something you have to do if you do want to get better. Over time, I, I started to notice that I was losing a lot of weight. And I'm going to tell you, I went into the hospital, weighed 197 pounds when I went into the hospital that night uh, when this whole kidney failure uh, happened. And I came out of the hospital, I was over 250 pounds. And right now I'm at 167 pounds. So I have lost 30% or sorry, 30 pounds of my weight that I actually weighed from originally from going into the hospital. And I, I want to believe that that's a lot of uh, muscle mass that I've lost because, you know, I can't do any uh, kind of exercising except walking right now. I can't lift weights and stuff like that. And I did change my diet. So, I mean, that has a lot to do with it as well. So I'm down to 167 pounds, which my wife believes is too thin for me, but I'm actually on the mend and I'm getting healthier every day. But I actually developed uh, what they call frozen shoulder as well during all this. And that's just being inactive and being in bed for such a long time that your shoulder locks up, it freezes. And I'm actually in physio for that right now. So that could take another six months to a year to actually heal. Uh, I've been to physio for the past uh, five months already, six months almost now, and uh, we're trying to clear that up as well. So um, at the end of the day, we are on the mend, and uh, my wife is going to have some uh, good insight to actually what happened that night. So I remember you telling me a funny story about a priest while in the hospital. 
Why don't you tell our listeners what happened there? Wasn't he giving you an exorcism or last rites? Or perhaps he was just there to kick you in the butt to get you out of the hospital? <laughs> yeah, th this is actually a very funny story. Uh, I mean, at least to myself and my wife, it was very funny. So I'm sitting in the hospital room and a priest, well, what I thought was a priest came into the room and he looked at me and he asked me if there was like any kind of prayer that I wanted to do. First, he asked me what my denomination was. I told him that I was Catholic. And then he asked me if there was any kind of prayer, if I wanted to do a prayer. And I said, yeah, sure, let's let's do a prayer. So he ended up reading part of the Bible. And then he actually, um, I believe it was in our father that he did with me. And at this whole time, it's running through my head, like, why is there a priest here and all that? So the doctor comes back in the room. And after the priest had left the room, I turned to the doctor and I said, is there something that you're not telling me? And the, the doctor actually looked at me and was very confused and said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, a priest just left my room and, and gave me like the option to have a prayer done. And is there something that you aren't telling me? And the doctor just started to laugh and he said, no, 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 that's a pastor that goes around the uh, hospital wings and he does prayers for everybody. And here I was, I was sitting there thinking that, you know what, the priest is giving me my last rites and that I was actually dying. So my wife had a good chuckle about that while we were in the room. And then remembering back on it, it actually is a funny story for us right now, because at the time I actually thought that I was dying, but turns out that it was just a pastor that was giving us the... Uh, the option to do a prayer to try and help with the healing. How many meds did they have you on when you came out of the hospital? I was actually on about 25 different meds. I think my wife is actually going to talk more about this um, in her part of the interview. Um, but I was on about 25 to 28 different meds when I came out. I bet you were happy to see 2019 come to a close. Well, 2019 was probably my roughest year ever. Um, let's just put it into perspective a little bit. January 23rd, my puppy, my my dog had passed away from a heart attack. And we're going to get into an episode about that later on. But that was a very difficult time for us. And less than a month later, I ended up in the ICU with kidney failure, hypertensive crisis. I had to have an EEG, ECG, lumbar puncture, uh, check for meningitis and encephalitis. February 28th, I was released on 25 to 28 different meds with severe edema. In March, I lost the vision in my eyes due to uh, the hypertensive crisis. Now, today I have vision back in one eye. Uh, the other eye, I'm almost completely blind. I can see shape. I can see color. I can't see any words. I can't see barely anything out of my right eye right now. I do have to have reading glasses on to see my phone as um, I really can't see at all. And you have to understand that I did have 20-20 vision before this. So this is actually a big change for me. We moved into July where I got my first injection into my eye to try and stop the, the blood vessels from growing. July 26th, I went in and I had a first round of uh, laser treatment for my eyes. August 8th, we went back and had a second round of laser treatment. August 19th, the neurologist says the possible cause of seizure was a drastic drop in my sodium levels from vomiting so much. So normal levels, you're at about 145. My level in the hospital was 123. If it drops too quickly, seizures do occur. So this is the, the actual explanation that we were given. September 11th, I got another injection into my eye. 
And then on the 25th of September, I was given a third round of laser treatment. September 5th, this is after we had brought home our new puppy. Aspen ended up with uh, the runs and vomiting. Uh, We had to take her to emergency and she had to stay overnight and be on IV and then be at the next day at our regular vet and then on antibiotics. So this was her second night here. And uh, again, she was uh, poisoned by eating a hostess in the backyard, which again, we didn't know was poisonous, but we're going to get into all that in another episode. But that was basically my 2019. And uh, yeah, I really uh, was very happy to say goodbye to 2019 and thought 2020 was going to be a uh, totally different year. But turns out that because of this whole coronavirus uh, pandemic that's going on, we are uh, not having a great start to the year. That's quite the year. You said that you want to read something that you had written while you were sick. What was that? Yeah, like Master Impressive said, I I wrote this while I was laying in bed and very sick. I, I don't even think I've shown this to my wife yet. So if you're listening, which I know you are, here it goes. Sometimes you go through life and it doesn't seem fair. You think about the pain and suffering you go through, but you have to pull through and deal with the hand that you're dealt. You sometimes overlook the people that surround you and take for granted what you have. When I took my wedding vows, I never thought I would put them to the test as much as I have in the first eight years. I'm so lucky to have a woman who is so strong as she is and has stood by and taken care of me in the times of need. I can't sit here and say that it doesn't bother me that I have to put my wife through all this, and I can't say that it hasn't crossed my mind that she is exhausted and doesn't want to do this anymore. She gets up in the morning and takes care of me. She goes to work all day, comes home, takes care of me, and then the house, and does it without complaining. I don't deserve this and neither does she. As I sit in the bedroom or on the couch day after day and have time to think, as a bit of depression sets in, you think you never want to put anyone through what I've put my wife through. I sometimes have a hard time looking at my wife because I'm both disgusted and embarrassed with what I have done to her. She doesn't deserve this. Thank you for everything you have done for me. I mean everything from spending uncomfortable nights in the hospital, to taking me to appointments, to pushing me in a wheelchair everywhere, to making my meals and separating my pills, to spending time with me, to running around and taking care of everything. The only reason I am where I am today is because of my wife. I wouldn't have been able to do any of that on my own and probably would have fallen into a deep depression. I have no words to say about what she's done for me. I don't know how to say thank you enough for what she's done for me. I feel bad that I had to put her through all of this. I'm so lucky to have her as my wife as well as my very best friend. I wish I could show her more how much I appreciate everything she has done for me, but there's nothing I can do that would even compare to the sacrifices she had to make. I don't want to think about what would have happened if you weren't there to hear the groaning and called 911. Would I still be here if you weren't? I know I wouldn't be where I am today without you. All right, I'm here with my lovely wife. Hello. And we're going to go over a bit about um, what happened that night. So tell me when, I guess, you noticed something was happening. So I'd been sleeping in the spare bedroom because you were so sick I didn't want to be near you. Um. And I don't know if I heard you first or Indy heard you first. But... In- Indy's our dog, by the way. And she started barking. And so I woke up and I could hear you making these like bear grunting noises through the wall. And I kind of just got up and was like, okay, something is not right. And I came running into the bedroom and I 
found you sort of laying the wrong way on the bed. So when I was laying like that, what was your first instinct? What, what did you what did you do? So I think I was more mad at you than anything because you were being so stubborn about not wanting to go to the doctor. So I grabbed your clothes off the floor and I literally threw them at you and was like, get up, we're going to the hospital. Enough is enough. Um, and you didn't respond. And so the only thing that you could do was say no. And so the more and more I kept saying it, um, the more and more I realized you weren't going to get up and that you weren't responding to me. So I think I repeated probably about three or four times to sit up in bed or I was going to call 911. And I think on the fourth time I asked you to do it and you didn't respond, I grabbed the phone and called 911. So when you did call 911 before the paramedics got here, how like what was happening then? So I had all the lights on. I was trying to get you to sit up. Um, the paramedic actually, the operator actually stayed on the call with me until probably about a minute before the paramedics actually got here. Um, they were making me check your vitals and making sure you were breathing and asking me about what was going on. Cause I guess they were transmitting it to the paramedics. Um, and for the most part, I was just trying to get you to sit up, which you wouldn't. So at this point, what did you think was happening? Actually, to be honest with you, I had no idea what was going on. Um, I just knew it was something serious. I just, but I had no clue what it was. Like, did you think it was more like just from the flu that I had and that? Yeah, I just thought it was to the point where you were at pure exhaustion, you know, and that you were just, you literally just couldn't function because you hadn't eaten in four or five days at that point. Well, I couldn't couldn't keep anything down, right? You couldn't hold water down. So once the paramedics got here, what happened? So they tried to get you to sit up and they actually ended up getting you to swing your body around to the one side of the couch so they, or the bed so that they could actually get you into a sitting position. And um, you kept kind of falling over. You had no, like you couldn't stand up or you couldn't sit up straight even for them. And they were trying to take your blood pressure and they were checking your vitals. They had you hooked up to a whatever their portable monitor is and they were asking you a bunch of questions and now was I responding to those or no barely barely you were definitely coming around you were starting to answer more questions but for the most part you were still pretty out of it you just kept asking to lay down you just wanted to lay down Okay, so then the paramedics came and they took me over to the hospital. They did. And you had to, I guess, follow them over there in the car. I had to get Indy straightened out first because she was having a bit of a conniption fit before I left the house. Well, yeah, understandable. But um, so once we got to emergency, what happened while we were in emergency? So when we first arrived at the hospital, they let me come back um, and see you. And then the nurse kicked me out and told me that they had to get you settled in to a room and then once they had that done they would come out and get me it was probably about half an hour or 40 minutes the nurse finally came and got me um, and pulled me back in um, into the back of the ER department and you were just coming back from getting a CAT scan they told me because they wanted to check to see if you had had a stroke okay so while I was in emergency, though, you said that something had happened while you were sitting beside me. 
Oh, you kept saying you wanted to you wanted to lay down, but you were already laying down. But you wanted to lay on your side and you were on your back and you were it sounded like you were a bit like a <laughs> two year old <laughs> having a bit of a hissy fit because you were like, I just wanna lay down. I just wanna lay down. See, and I remember none of that, right? So I believed that I had a seizure at home. And then while yeah. I was in emergency, you said I had another seizure. Yeah. Um, I was strapped down to the bed, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I had another seizure and you were there to see that. Yes. And how did that go? How did you feel about that when it happened? Like, what did you have to do? So the doctor and I were standing over top of you talking because it was about 630 in the morning at this point. And they were going to about to do a shift change. So he was telling me kind of what the next steps were going to be. And then all of a sudden I looked down and you started to have a seizure. Um, and for whatever reason. It's okay. Just a momentary break here. She's okay. Just remembering things. It's okay. It was like something out of a movie. Um, all the, the nurses all come rushing in and they're calling out all these medical terms to like get all these different drugs for you. And, uh, sorry. <laughs> and they close the curtain and one of the nurses basically like carries me down the hall, um, into a waiting room and they tell me what's going to happen. And you know, the, It'll probably be a little while before I'm allowed to come back in and see you. Um, but they kind of walked me through what the doctors were going to be doing. And they just kind of left me there. And then um, it was probably about a, another half an hour or 45 minutes. They came back to get me and said that I could come in and see you. But that I, you were going to be kind of hooked up to a few more monitors. And a couple of different things were going to happen. Um they still had you in the restraints um, because of the fact that you kept wanting to curl up into the fetal position and that was causing your blood pressure um, to escalate. Um, so I think they said your seizure lasted about 57 seconds. And at some point you had bit your tongue um, and so you had blood all over the side of your face when I came back in. And they ended up having to put a catheter in um, and they had to do a whole bunch of things because you were basically at this point right out of it. And um, I asked them how long it was going to take before you would kind of come out of the seizure. And they had told me it would be anywhere between five minutes to 24 hours before you would be coherent enough to have a conversation. And how long, I guess, did it take until it was, like, out of it? So, you didn't have a conversation with me again until 5 o'clock the next morning. Like, to my recollection, I don't remember anything for two days. Right. I don't remember having any conversations, although you did say I had conversations with the specialists that were there, the neurologist and the infectious disease, and uh, I guess the um, ICU, ICU doctor. And I don't remember any of that, but my first conversation with you was the next morning. So almost 24 hours after this all happened. Yeah. So they got you all set up um, into the ICU at about five o'clock 
sort of the following day because we went into the hospital at about one in the morning. So five o'clock that night, you got admitted into ICU. Um, And because they didn't know what was wrong um, and they were testing you for a bunch of infectious diseases, we basically had to be in full head to toe gown mask gloves while, um, while we were with you in the ICU. Um, and they still had you in the restraints and you were still pretty out of it. You would make the odd noise here and there, but you didn't actually know that we were there. And so um, I opted to end up coming home. Um, one, to check on the dog, but two, I think I needed the sleep at that point. And there were, you had a full-time nurse with you 24 hours a day in the ICU. So she said, go home and get some rest you know, here's the direct line. You can call at any time and check in on you. So I called before I went to bed and they had said that you were finally out of the restraints. You you were finally behaving enough that they could undo you. That's nothing new. Yep. Yeah. And then um, I guess at about 4.30 or 5 in the morning, you had woken up in the hospital and I guess you, you kept bugging the nurse to tell her to call me, um, that you wanted to know where I was. And she's like, it's 4.30 in the morning. There's no way your wife's going to be awake. And you kept telling her, no, no, she's awake. You can call her. It's fine. And then about 20 minutes later, I guess I must have called the hospital. So the nurse had a good chuckle. Well, just um, for those that don't know, we're, we're up at 4.35 o'clock every morning. So at least I still remember that at that point. So um, she put you on the phone and... Um, you were asking me a bunch of questions kind of about what happened and why you were there and when I was coming. That was really all you wanted to know is how quickly I could get over there because I think you were a bit freaked out by everything that was going on. So I think But at I, that point I don't like I don't remember that happening, right? So I don't remember asking the nurse to call you. I don't remember you actually coming back to the hospital. Um how are you feeling at that point? relieved that you were awake um I think I started crying when you actually had a conversation with me on the phone because at least then I knew that oh I you... talked to you on the phone too yeah that when I called the nurse put you on the phone oh I don't remember that at all yeah and that was at like five in the morning and then I think I came to the hospital around seven thirty. see I'm finding out new things too because we've been talking about this for the past year and uh I didn't even know that little bit of information so um, but you, you said you were relieved and then you came to the hospital yeah. and then how was the condition then? Was so, it more me just like in and out of it? Like, was I sleeping? You slept a lot more often the first, than I, yeah. like 24 hours that you were in the hospital. Um, your mom and dad came up, which you don't remember. No. So your mom and dad were there for the day. Um, you really don't remember anything until almost day three. The first, the first thing I remembered was my brother, my older brother, and my dad walking into the hospital room. That's the yeah. first thing that I remember. Yeah. And so the day previously, you had seen all of the doctors. Um, the ICU doctor kind of came in and explained what was happening, um, but they didn't really have any explanation for what was going on. So at that point, they were treating for symptoms. So they were treating for high blood pressure. They were treating for... Um, kidney failure and they had you on I don't even remember how many antibiotics at that time because they couldn't figure out if it was 
an infection that was causing all of this or if it was something else. So, but they also tested me for encephalitis yep. and meningitis yep, and all that came back clean, obviously. Yep. Um, but what were they telling you as they were doing that? It was just precautionary or... Um, so the test when they did for your, for the infectious disease, you were actually still in the ER. Um, and at that point they were just trying to rule things out. So they had a list and they were essentially just kind of checking the boxes as they were going. And because of the symptoms that you were showing, um, they had assumed it was an infectious disease that was causing all of this. Hmm. Interesting. So now we get out of the hospital. We're at day six, I believe, from an ICU. Yep. And they wanted to transfer me over into regular care. But all they were doing really was coming in the room and giving me pills. They weren't like waiting hand and foot on me anymore. And, and, blood, work. and blood work. And I asked them if I could just go home because we could do this ourselves. Like we could actually just administer the medication ourselves at home. I'd be more comfortable at home. I actually had a TV at home that I could lay in bed and watch. Not that I was up much, but I mean, when I was, there was something I could do, could hang out with the dog and, you know, whatever it was. So when you came home and, and realized, you came to a realization that, you know what, this is, this was a serious event that happened and I'm going to have to take over like the responsibilities of the house. Like, how did that make you feel? At first, I was okay with it because my work had been really understanding about giving me the time off that I needed. Um, and funny enough, when I actually showed up at work the, my first day back, they even said to me, what are you doing here? Go home and look after your husband. Um, but at that point, I think I just needed a, a taste of normal for a day. Um, but they were really understanding about me being able to take time off or work from home or do whatever I needed to do. So we didn't really start to feel it until I actually had to go back to work full time. So I essentially had to take over um, cooking, which I hate doing. Um, and then on top of that, I had to cook diabetic friendly and low sodium because of how high um, his creatinine level and his kidneys were. We had to keep everything as clean as possible. So we didn't get to eat a lot of good food right then. No. And so I became almost obsessive about checking labels and calculating how much salt I was giving you in a day and how much sugar I was giving you in a day. Um, and our doctor even told us, like just a family doctor saying it's like nearly impossible. Like what is a, a normal person's sodium intake in a day is what, 2,500? Yeah. And mine was supposed to be at about 1,500. Which and is impossible. the doctor even told us like it's it's almost impossible to get that done, um, to get it down to 1500. He's like, it's, there's, there's salt in everything. You got yeah. salt in water, you've got salt in every kind of food. So you'd be eating nothing essentially if you had to keep count of your sodium. But he said, you know, try and keep it at a, a you know, a reasonable level. Yeah. And then the worst part was, I think the first couple of days coming out of the hospital, when I was trying to cook for you, you couldn't hold it down. So then I was paranoid that we were, coming out of the hospital too quickly and that you should have still been there, um, I guess, based off of the food or I don't know, or the fact that you weren't on liquid meds anymore, you were on um, pill form, they weren't sitting well in your stomach. So then we ended up having to add another medication just so that you could settle your stomach enough to be able to keep 
food down while you were at home. Well, we've already established that I'm I'm stubborn, You're and I did not butt. I did not want to stay in the hospital. Probably would have been for the better that I did, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, we did come home, and you know, you took care of things, and then how many medications like how how did you figure out the formula for medications i guess when they sent me home so when the pharmacist came in to talk to us at the hospital she had a spreadsheet or a chart that um basically explained what medication to take how much what it was for and what time of day you had to take it and you were on 25 25 different medications six times a day and then like a variety of pills at different times so there aren't any of those little medical pill things that are as complicated as you so I ended up having to make my own and every I think I had six different pill bottles that were all marked basically breakfast nine noon three six and bed I think is how we had it and essentially every night after you took your bed pills um I would come downstairs and I would follow along on the little chart and I would um basically do your meds for the following day yeah just remake the whole pill container thing yeah Uh, and then as you started to recover and you came off of different meds or you were put on different meds or they changed the doses I ended up actually copying the spreadsheet and um basically recording what doctor put you on what what one they took you off of when did they take you off of it if they put you on one what was it for um just because i had to keep track and because you were seeing what three four doctors at the time on different follow-ups and they were all treating you for different things it was the only way we could keep track of kind of who was doing what and when so i would print the forms off and actually bring them to the doctor's appointments with us And I would leave them with the doctors to say, like, this is what his current med regimen is now so that they could all kind of keep track of what you were what you were on. Seeing that I couldn't get out of bed at all, I had a bad case of edema, which is a lot of fluid buildup and swelling. How did you feel about having to take over everything in the house? Like, I mean, the cleaning, the cooking, the dog walking, um, I guess that that point it was winter time so shoveling and then it moved into the summer where you had to cut the grass as well and you know how did you feel about having to take over everything in the house and I wasn't able to help you at all you know at first I thought and I think I even remember telling my mom this that at some point I figured I was going to lose my shit over all of this I think that's what I said to her Mm -hmm. um and I was kind of surprised that I hadn't or that I didn't um I think when you go through something like what we went through you just you figure it out and for whatever reason um I took it day by day and we got through it you know did it suck some days when it was like you know 30 40 degrees outside to go out and cut the grass yes um but I did it because I knew it had to get done and I knew that you couldn't do it um and you know I think there was a big difference between not wanting to do it and not being able to do it and I think because you weren't able it made me able and for whatever strange reason I kept it together and I you know me I don't exactly have a lot of patience um and for whatever reason I was okay I was tired but I was okay and I think it was because I knew that you were recovering well thankfully I've never had to go through this but I mean 
that's how you keep a marriage strong, right? You have to rely on each other and you have to depend on each other and you have to make sure that you take care of each other, right? In, in your worst times. So yeah. um, that's exactly what you did for me. So um, I, I, I've already said thank you. I don't know what else to say. Um, and that's that's pretty much, I guess, where we're at right now. Like the recovery process has gone pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, our levels, well, my levels are back down to, you know, I guess... Acceptable levels. Acceptable levels, yeah. That's a good word for it. They're good, uh, acceptable levels right now. And uh, we're still recovering, not 100% back yet, but we are getting there and hopefully this continues. So is there anything else that you want to add to this? Let's not do this again. Don't plan on it. I mean, we've changed our whole lifestyle, right? Like you come out of this and it's a whole lifestyle change. So, I mean, the eating gets better. I exercise a lot more. Um, I keep my weight down now. Uh, I, I actually control my diabetes without medication anymore, right? I'm controlling it with my diet. Uh, I try not to indulge on, you know, if we're at a party or someone's house on, you know, snacks and desserts and stuff like that. It's not easy, but I keep it going. So hopefully it's just good health and uh, we continue that way. That's going to do it for today's show. We want to give a big thank you to Mrs. Awesome for joining today's episode and giving us a few insights into Director Awesome's health. Please hit the subscribe button and join us at Facebook, Instagram, at Pod Jerky, Twitter, and YouTube. Once again, thank you for joining us on today's episode. We will see you later. Here we go now! Pop Jerky. Hey.